So, um, yeah, in, uh, so if you've been around the last few weeks, we've been going through uh, 2 Corinthians. Um, it's been cool. So it's a letter written by Paul, and it is his second letter that we have to the Corinthians. Um, and a cat has just walked into the church. That's quite interesting. <laughs> a black cat. I don't know what that means. I quite like cats, but um, anyway. So, but we are taking a sidetrack from uh, 2 Corinthians. Um, so, PT will continue that next week. Uh, we're going to actually be looking at a, another letter written by Paul, um, but this letter is called Romans. Uh, and you'll find it, um, so it's a couple of books ahead of 2 Corinthians. So it goes, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. So it's just for just before then in the Bible. So yeah, if you need a Bible, please raise your hand and Naomi will kindly come by with a Bible. Um, but before we, uh, before we read anything, um, let's pray. Because um, that would be a good thing to do. So. <laughs> Father, I just uh, I thank you for your church, Lord. I thank you for bringing these guys here today, Lord. And I pray that you would speak to each and every one of them, Lord. Uh, I pray, Lord, that the words that I say would be of you and from you, Lord. Lord, may you speak directly to your people today, Lord. We worship a God, Lord, who is alive, Lord. You are alive. And you are at work. So please guide us, Lord. The things which I say today, which are of not, not of you, Lord, may they fall away. And may all that remain just be of you. Lord, may today be a moment of influence in our lives so that we would leave changed, Lord, that we would not be the same. Lord, I thank you for being able to be able to sing and worship you, Lord, and offer up praises and prayer. Father, you have called us deeper and you have called us higher. May you open our eyes to that call in our lives, Father. In your name, Jesus, amen. Awesome. So yeah, today we're going to be, the main bulk of our text is going to be in Romans chapter 8. So we're going to get there. Um, but um, I want to give, uh, I want to read, first of all, um, a psalm, uh, Psalm 44. Um, so we're going to be doing quite a bit of reading today, so I'm hoping you're all, um, all ready to do some reading, so, which is cool. Um, but hopefully this is, this is, I want to read this psalm to give, hopefully to give you um, to give you an idea of, of where we're sort of going over the next sort of half an hour to an hour. Um, so yeah, if you'd like to turn to Psalm 44, please. Psalm 44. And we'll read from there. So You're good. So Psalms is found, uh, if you're new to the Bible, Psalms is found in the Old Testament. It's roughly kind of almost halfway in the Bible. Uh, in your book. So if you flick to there, you'll most likely find it. So, um, but yeah, please read um, along with me. So verse 1. So we have heard with our ears, O God. Our fathers have told us the deeds you did in their days. In days of old, you drove out the nations with your hands 
but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples and cast them out, for they did not gain possession of the land by their own swords, nor did their own arm save them. But it was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your countenance, because you favoured them. You are my king, O God. Command victories for Jacob. Through you will we push down our enemies. Through your name we will trample those who rise up against us. For I will not trust in my bow, nor shall my sword save me. But you have saved us from our enemies and have put to shame those who hated us. In God we boast all day long and praise your name forever. Selah. So here, the first eight verses, we see just how the psalmist is looking back on the days of old, on his fathers, and and how they used to tell the deeds that they did. And now we go into the rest of the chapter, and and as you'll notice as we go through there, there's definitely a change in the psalmist's heart. So read on with me now. So from verse 9, But you have cast us off and put us to shame, and you do not go out with our armies, You make us turn back from the enemy and those who hate us have taken spoil for themselves. You've given us up like sheep intended for food and have scattered us among the nations. You sell your people for next to nothing and are not enriched by it selling them. You make us a reproach to our neighbours, a scorn and a derision to those all around us. You make us a byword among the nations, a shaking of the head among the peoples. My dishonour is continually before me and the shame of my face has covered me because of the voice of him who reproaches and reviles because of the enemy and the avenger. All this has come upon us, but we have not forgotten you nor have we dealt falsely with your covenant. Our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way, but you have severely broken us in the place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our God or stretched out our hands to a foreign God, would not God search this out? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Yet for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter, Awake, why do you sleep, O Lord? Arise, do not cast us off forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our affliction and our oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our body clings to the ground. Arise for our help and redeem us for your mercy's sake. And as we go on today, I hope it will come to light to make sense why I chose to read this psalm as we go through this part in Romans. But basically here we have the psalmist at, at, the, at the start. He's like, look, this is God. This is what you've done. This is what you've done of old. And then we find him in a place where he's bearing out his soul. He's like, God, where are you? I'm in need of you. I'm, I'm hemmed in. I'm, I'm, I'm in trouble. I'm in deep need of you. And this is kind of uh, the purpose of, of what I want to get out today is we're about to read a part in Romans 8 where we're given hope. So here we have a guy who feels downtrodden and for many of us we have either A, been in that situation or B, may one day be in that situation or C, know people who are in that situation. 
where we are hard-pressed, where we are surrounded, where our circumstances for which we are going through are extremely difficult. And my aim today is to give you hope because for those who are in Christ Jesus, we have hope. And Thank you, amen, yeah! <laughs> we have hope. And for those of us who do not know Jesus, my, my, my plea to you is that you would know him because without Jesus we don't have hope. And to give you kind of an illustration, uh, I, for example, and it's quite interesting, is this idea of hope um, because uh, I uh, occasionally watch a show and I don't necessarily recommend watching it, but it kind of brings to light... Um, uh, just this idea of suffering uh, it's, it's uh, like a kind of comic book based on a comic book show it's called The Walking Dead I would definitely not necessarily recommend it and it's basically about how zombies have taken over the world bear me a second you see where I'm going with this not just me comic book geeking out here but basically right here you find a group of people who are in extremely dire circumstances many of which, uh, and the writers of the kind of book and the show, them, even themselves would claim to be, to be atheists, to claim to be not to be people who believe in God. But it is amazing, and, and it's one of the reasons why it compels me, often compels me to watch it, um, although I would not recom- necessarily recommend it, <laughs> is just how you see these people respond to such a bleak situation when they truly don't have hope. Or, if it, or if, if, it's, if it is this idea of hope, it's something which they've kind of conjured up. It's kind of this, it, and it just reveals to us, you know, if when you take God out of the picture, what hope do you have? If it is truly just, if we truly just live in a world where it is literally just the material and just the physical, the question is, when things get tough, when, when we face suffering, why go on? And that is the question which often comes in my heart when watching these guys as they fight for survival is what is the point if there is no God? What is the, what is the point if all you can see and all that is, is supposedly true is just this world? Then what is the point? And my aim to you today is that we do have a point and we do have a purpose. Not just for now, but also in light of what is to come. And we find a lot of this in Romans 8. So, to the main part of our text, if you'd like to turn with me to Romans chapter 8. And we're going to be starting from, from uh, verse 14, and we're going to go um, from there. But, um, yeah, just to give you kind of a bit of a background, as, as I sort of said, we've been going through 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, so recently we're going through 2 Corinthians with PT and his letter to the Christians in Corinth. And now we're just going to quickly look at this part um, and this letter to the, to the Christians in Rome. I would encourage you to read through this book. It is, um, I've been reading through it in my own kind of sort of devotional time. And it is amazing just how theologically rich it is. There is so much within this. And then as we go on as well, I want you to bear in mind who the writer is. This guy is Paul, this guy who, who has this amazing conversion, this amazing encounter, encounter with the risen Lord Jesus, this guy who used to persecute Christians, who would go after anybody who, who, was, 
who would claim to follow this Jesus and now this same guy is like, (laughs) I'm a servant of Christ. It's amazing how that has turned. I mean, even if you look, for example, and you can see it even in the first verse, it says, so in Romans 1, chapter 1, verse 1, he says this, Paul, a bond servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Isn't that amazing? Paul, this guy who was killing Christians, is now saying he's a bond servant of this Jesus, literally a slave of this Jesus, of which he was persecuting his followers. So please keep in mind Paul, and also keep in mind that this guy is, is not, he is, he is accustomed to suffering. He is not disfamiliar with suffering, especially suffering for the gospel, especially suffering when it comes to Christ. I mean, bear this in mind when he talks about suffering, that he is coming from a guy who has experienced suffering, who does experience suffering, who is coming, you know, is in that process. When we see throughout the book of Acts and throughout his other letters, we see, we see Paul beaten for the gospel. We see him imprisoned. We see him persecuted. We see him beaten to an inch of his life. We see him running away <laughs> for his life. I just want you to bear in mind that, see this guy as Paul, he knows how you're feeling. He's been in that place where he's been persecuted and suffered. He has that authority. So here we go. If you read with me from verse 14, and we're just going to go through this, um, literally verse by verse, or as we go along, I'm going to kind of go and unpack it. So, um, which is going to be cool. So let's go from verse 14. So read along with me. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. So here he's saying, so for all those who are led by the Spirit of God, so led by the Holy Spirit of God, and as we know, as soon as you say yes to Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit as that seal, as that, as that kind of seal, that, that, that guarantee. So if you have received the Holy Spirit, you are a Christian, and this, you are a son of God. So the God of the universe is not just some distant deity, but as soon as you say yes to Christ, there is that intimacy there. And we'll, be, we'll read a bit more about that in a second. So carry on with me in verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And the last time I spoke, we, we looked at Jesus and his prayer in Gethsemane when he uses that same word, it's Abba, Father. We saw that intimacy between Jesus and the Father and that same spirit of intimacy is within us. So God is not just a distant deity, but he is close. There is that intimacy which you will not, with God which you will not see in any other world religion. So many times, whether it be sort of Islam and, or anything else, it's, it's trying to keep God away. It's, but we see here that Jesus breaks the barrier between us and God. 
that this holy God, this set-apart God, calls us his children. We have been adopted into his family. So bear this in mind, as you go through tough times, straight away call to mind that you are God's children. God is your father and as children come to him. And the last time I spoke, I gave that I, that this, I, this picture of intimacy as, as sort of looking at my own parents and my grandparents and my grandfather on my dad's side and how I used to, when I was a kid, used to curl up in his lap and fall asleep and he would fall asleep as well. And just that, that idea of safety, that idea of intimacy. So read on with me as well. So verse 16, so we have this idea of intimacy and how we're adopted. So 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So there we go, he again reiterates, we are children of God. And if children, so we're not only children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, comma, but it doesn't stop there. And then this is a sentence which comes. Read with me. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Man, do you know when you come across a part of scripture, you're like, you see that first, but you're like, why can't you just stop there, Lord? Why can you? Why did you have to continue on the suffering part? Can you just like just kept that bit there, missed out the suffering part? But no. Listen to the words he used. If indeed we suffer with him. It's that idea. We are called as Christians to suffer. And man, that is so, so challenging to me. But um, if you don't believe me, let's even see how Jesus puts it himself. So if you've got a Bible, quickly flip to Matthew chapter 10 and verse 38. And so many times... Throughout the Gospels, we see how Jesus calls us. He says, you know, he says you're going to suffer. He says the road I'm calling you on is the right road, but it is one which involves suffering. Sometimes we can get into this idea of sometimes, if we just come to Christ, you know, before we say this idea of just become a Christian and your problems will be solved. Just become a Christian and he'll solve your issues. But actually we find that... When we, when we come to Christ, it's not that we no longer suffer, but that Christ is with us while we suffer. Christ is now present. And yes, he begins to clean us up. And yes, he does actually amazingly fix a load of our issues. But if we just simply come to avoid suffering, yeah, we're going to be in for a shock. Actually, he calls us to suffer. But this is, every, almost every time he calls his disciples or when Jesus is speaking, every time when he calls them to a place of discomfort or when we see with Moses when he's called to, to go beyond himself so, and, and he's like, why me? And I can't do this. This is beyond me. So often when Jesus calls us to a place where we're uncomfortable, he doesn't affirm us by saying that we can do it. He says that I will be with you. He doesn't say, I'm going to take that hardship away or I'm going to take that suffering away. He says, I'll be present with you through it. So quickly read with me in verse 38 of Matthew 10. And this is what Jesus says. And he who does not take up his cross 
and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Here even Jesus himself is saying, you are called to follow after me and that is going to involve suffering but it's also the way of life. So reading me on, we'll flick back to Romans. So we, we know as Christians we are called to suffer but and now we see how we, although as Christians we're, also, we're called to suffer, there's also another side of it as well. What does it say in the end of that verse? So indeed, we suffer with him that we may also be glorified together. We can't separate these two. These two are interlinked, our suffering, but then also the glory that is to come. And now let's read from verse 18 as Paul begins to unpack our suffering and to unpack this glory. So from verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So let me say that again. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, so the sufferings that you are experiencing now, are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. The glory that is to come is going to far outweigh the sufferings for which you endure right now. And this is one of the beautiful truths we find in this chapter which we are to meditate on as we go through suffering. Knowing that the glory that is to come will outweigh and that should encourage us to step out even more. As that song said, which we sang out of the beginning, you've called me high, you've called me deeper. And it's a song by a band called All Sons and Daughters. And there's a little interview online, which is quite cool, as she explains a bit more about what that song means. And it came in a time where she felt that she was in that comfortable place. And she was feeling that God was calling her actually to step out in faith into that place of discomfort. Just as when we see, for example, in the Bible where we see Jesus is walking on the water and we see Peter and Jesus calls to Peter and Peter, what does he do? He steps out of the boat. And we have to know that sometimes if we don't step out of the boat, we're not going to walk on the water. And yeah, there are going to be times when we begin to sink, those times when we take our eyes off Jesus, but he's always there to pick us up. And, to keep, and if we amazing, if we actually keep our eyes on Jesus, if we keep our attention on him, we find ourselves walking on water amongst the storms of life. So carry on with me. So bear this first in mind. So when we think of suffering, our glory is going to fire away to suffering. That's our first point. So in terms of suffering, what do we meditate on? We meditate on this fact that glory far outweighs the suffering. And now, read on with me and we'll come, a bit, we'll come back to the idea of suffering in a bit as well. Um, but read on with me. So verse 19 says this, For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered 
from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know, we know that the whole creation groans and labours with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. So here we see that the effects of sin has affected everything. That in that moment, in the Garden of Eden, everything got flipped over. Everything was affected by sin. But we see how Christ comes in and there is a day where our adoption will be complete and that redemption will come. And then let's carry on. Verse 24. And this, this verse we'll come back to a bit later on as well. So keep a, keep, a, keep a mark on it as well. So verse 24. For we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. And we'll come back to that verse in a second, so keep, keep an eye on that verse as well. And now before we go on to the, the next part, 26. So the next few verses, so from 26 onwards... Um, me and uh, uh, PT last Friday got to um, go to uh, a meeting um, in, in Cafe Eterno about the future of Cafe Eterno. So I think most of us here have either been to Cafe Eterno or know of it. But basically it's a small coffee shop in, in the heart of Covent Garden uh, which is owned by uh, London City Mission um, but they are basically in a process of um, basically deciding what to do with it. Um, and we, uh, me, PT, were gathered in this room uh, uh, and we were amongst uh, a whole group of other people, enough to be about maybe 20 of us, and there's loads of different people, different groups of people sat in this kind of circle uh, and all these different people from, who basically, who use the space. Um, so, you know, just how we use it on a Tuesday for Bible study um, and for when we do Jesus nights. So there are other kind of church groups and Christian groups who are kind of there and they're sat around and then the main guy leading it, um, Duncan, he, uh, he gets up and he reads this next passage. And it's one of those moments where you're like, oh, I was actually thinking of doing that. Oh, maybe I should actually cover this then. Oh, I get it, Lord, I get it. Um, but it's one of those moments where, the, and it always seems to happen when you, you know, you're focusing on the scripture and you're looking at it and then it just happens that somebody else in a different, you know, completely different situation brings it up. Um, but my main thoughts were, and as we go through this next bit, I want you to bear in mind just this idea of do we truly believe this and does this truly affect our lives? Because I remember sitting in that room and there are so many of us and we're, and we're all coming together from kind of different spheres and it's quite humbling as well to see how Christ is working in so many different ways. Um, to see how Jesus' mission is, is beyond our church. You know, it's not just... It's not just Shoreline, but it's actually throughout London there are people who love Jesus who are sharing them and we've seen people come to know Christ. And it's amazing, there are some people there who were who kind of, their, their vision was to reach out to kind of the workers in, um, you know, within the London area, so the people who travel into work. And then there's another group 
who they're kind of reaching out to the Jewish people uh, and to kind of the new age thinkers to try and share Jesus with them. And then there's some other guys who are just kind of just, just, they're just solo people who would go out and share Jesus on the streets. And then there's another group who are looking to work with kind of to reach out to, to the prostitutes in London. And then there's, you know, another group who wants to work with the artists. So we see so many people's different hearts and how God is using them to reach other people. And how we have come together, united, to seek God's will. But as we read through this, I want you to think in your mind, do I truly believe this? Not just up here, but in here. And How is it affecting my life? So read with me. So verse 24, no, 26, sorry, I'm saying. Verse 26. So likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. So the Holy Spirit which Christ has given us, when we are weak, he helps us. Isn't that beautiful? When we are weak, the Holy Spirit is there to help us. And this is one of the ways in which he helps us. So read on with me. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. How many of you have been there? You're in a situation where you're just like, God, I don't. How do I pray? To, you know, how do I respond to this, God? What, I, I don't even know what to pray. Where words fail us. Well, be encouraged because, as we read on, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So here, the Holy Spirit. When we run out of words, we don't even know what to say. Christ, you know. Christ's Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is helping us. He is interceding with us to the Father. He's praying on our behalf, saying, with even groans which, which, which cannot even be uttered. And then read on with me. So 27. So now he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And now here is one of our, going to be one of our main focuses as we read in verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purposes. So I'll read that again. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purposes. So here we have this amazing statement. And I imagine most of us are quite familiar with it. It's kind of the statement you see in kind of the Christian bookshops. It's like on the little, either on like the little magnets or in like kind of like the kind of like the sort of frame sort of pictures. It's a statement for which we are extremely familiar of, but do we truly believe it? I remember sitting in that room and I'm like, do we truly believe this? And often that um, I had to ask my own heart, do I truly believe this? 
And as I've been wrestling with this, I came to find myself in this place of, well, I have to be honest and say, God, there are times for which I do believe this when I'm like, yeah, God is, you know, he's at work. He's it's working together for my good, for the good of those who I'm. There's, there's times for which I can give a confident amen. But I must be honest, Father, there are times when I struggle with that. And then as I began to meditate upon it more, I was like, the times when I can see it. So the times when I can see how God is working things together for my good, those are often the times when I'm like, amen, yes, oh yeah, I can see it. But the times for which I'm like, I can't see it, those are the times I begin to doubt. And then it came to mind just like, but God calls us to live by faith and not by sight. And he completely addresses that idea. Remember in verse 24 when he says, For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. In those times when we don't see it, we are called to have hope, that despite the fact that we can't see it, that he is at work, that things are working together. He is in control. So in the times when we're like, God, I see it. Yes, I grasp it. I can see how you're doing it. We are called to give him praise, but then we are continually called to praise him, even when we don't see it, in trusting that he is in control. And then the prayer for me because I was like, Lord, please help me, because I want to be in that place when I don't see it, I, have, I still have that faith. I still have that assurance. And it just reminded me of this, this beautiful saying. In, if you turn with me to Mark chapter 9, 24. Mark chapter 9 and 24. And let's actually quickly go back just to get context. And we'll go from verse we'll go from verse fourteen just to get context of, of where this kind of prayer comes in and, and I'll just try and explain why this prayer has been on my heart. So go from fourteen. And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him greeted him and he asked the scribes what are you discussing with them then one of the crowd answered and said teacher I brought you my teacher I brought you my son who has a mute spirit and wherever it seizes him it throws him down he foams at the mouth gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid so I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out but they could not he answered him uh, and said and this is Jesus saying, O oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And his father replies, so he says, From childhood and after he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. 
immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And I just love that prayer that this, this father is so honest. It's like, God, I believe, but help my unbelief. And that's become my prayer. It's like, God, help my unbelief. Change my heart so that I would have faith in the times when, when I can't see it, in the times when I can't see how things are working to my good, that I would truly trust you. And then we see from this beautiful truth, let's just quickly unpack the truth as well. So, And we know, so this is something for which they know, it's something which the early church knows, this is a truth which, which they understand, this is an important truth, we need to know this truth, we need to understand it that all things work together. And I love that. It is literally all things. It is literally any, every, whatsoever, whole, allsoever, whosoever. It is literally, it does literally mean all things work together. And I just love this. It's like a fellow worker to cooperate. All things are working together to cooperate as fellow workers together. This ongoing, this continual thing, things are working together for good. And another word you can use is benefit for good, for benefit to those who what? To those who love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. This beautiful promise unfortunately cannot be applied to everybody in the world, but it does apply to those who have said yes to Jesus. We have hope and that hope is found in Jesus that he is in such control that he is working even the most difficult of situations to our good and to our benefit. And then let's keep going on from verse 29 and then we'll see over the next few verses how Paul unpacks this as well for us. For verse 29, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So even straight away, we can actually see initially even that there is a purpose. That one of, these, one of the ways in which God works out things for our good, for our benefit, is to make us more like Christ. That is what he's calling us to. To be conformed to his image. And we can see this, if we go quickly, sorry we're flicking all over the place today, but hopefully it will encourage you. If we go to Romans 5, verse 1 to 5, and we can see a really clear and direct link as to how Christ uses our suffering to conform him to his image. So read with me in Romans 5, verse 1. So therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. So here we, we can see that straight off the bat, you know, even we know that God is 
using our suffering, this is a beautiful truth, to, to make us more like Christ, to change our character. We even know straight away, even if we can't see the bigger picture of how God is using our suffering, we can initially see that through it he is producing perseverance and through perseverance he's producing character and character hope. And I love this last verse and we'll just quickly, now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. We know that this hope that this we have, and we see evidence, or he gives us evidence that our hope will not put us to shame. And we know one way is that because he has poured his love into us. Sorry, that was me. <laughs> I will quickly turn my phone on mute. It's, uh, it's on mute. Sorry, guys. <laughs> uh, anyway, where were we? So, <laughs> so, yeah, let's go back. So, 29. So, here, we, you know, we see Christ as a purpose for our suffering and we can see that is to make him more like him and we see how he specifically does that. So, here we go. For him he foreknew, he also predestined. And then verse 30, Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these also he glorified. If you get a chance, I encourage you to write out these things. He foreknew you, he he predestined you, he called you, he justified you, he glorified you. Jesus did it all and all you did was say yes. Now carry on with me, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things in light of the fact that God has a purpose for our suffering, in light of the fact that we are his children, in light of the fact that the Holy Spirit empowers us when we are weak and, in, and is working on our behalf, in, 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 in taking into the fact that our suffering will not compare to the glory. What shall we say about these things? And this is what Paul says. If God is for us, who can be against us? And then he goes on to explain this. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. And then here comes this beautiful, beautiful truth. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. And then he continues, 36. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Does that sound familiar at all? Right here we see Paul quoting from Psalm 44. And don't just believe me, go and check Scripture yourself. Don't just take my word from it. Let Scripture have the final say on anything that I say tonight. 
But here we see, Paul, that, that very first psalm which we read, that Psalm 44, which we read about this guy whose soul is just like, God, where are you? The circumstances, I'm, I just can't see you, I can't feel you. God, how are you at work in this situation? And I love how Paul quotes from this psalm straight after that question of what can separate, who, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And now this is the answer. So you may be feeling like God has left you. You may be feeling that you've been separated from Christ's love, but this is the truth. Verse 37, yet in all these things, so what are these things? So yet in tribulation, so yet in distress, yet in persecution, yet in famine, yet in nakedness, yet in peril, or swords, we are more than conquerors through him, that is Jesus, who loved us. 38, for I am persuaded And I pray that today we would be persuaded of this truth, as Paul is, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord and there is our hope in that time of hardship in that time of suffering where we cry out with the psalmist we must turn our hearts and affections to this truth that God has not left us that God has not forsaken us that he has not separated us that he is near, that he is working things for our good. And just to kind of give just another example from Scripture about how there are times when God works things for our good, even when we can't see it. Uh, Let's turn to Genesis chapter 50. We'll start to bring things to a close here. Genesis chapter 50. And here's a beautiful illustration of this truth. There are times when we can't see it, but God is working things for our good. And the truth is that sometimes we are blessed. We're truly blessed that after a situation we are able to see God's purpose in it. We are able to see how God has used it. We can actually confidently amen with that we know that all things work together but there are some things we just have to accept by faith that one day we have that hope that we will actually understand how God was using it for our good but here we actually get a glimpse of a man who had the privilege of seeing how God used things for his good And we're going to go from chapter 50 and verse 18. And this is right at the end of the book of Genesis. And this is concerning the the account of Joseph. And if you know the account well, we know that Joseph had a number of brothers who didn't like him. (laughs) They, uh, that was maybe a bit of an understatement. They sold him into slavery. And then he's taken far away from his home as a slave. I mean, 
Some of us have siblings here. How many of us would actually sell our siblings into slavery? I mean, I have two brothers. I don't think they always get on with me, but um, selling me into slavery is maybe a bit too far even for them. Um, (laughs) But anyway, we see here the brothers sell him into slavery. And then we see that even uh, so, he, 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 gets, he gets kind of bought by, uh, by this guy Potiphar. And then we see how he begins to actually, he, he's serving the Lord. We read throughout this account, he's faithful. And it's amazing that actually people around him see that the Lord is with him. I mean, wouldn't that be amazing if people could actually see that we're different? That in times of suffering and hardship, people could actually be like, as in non-Christians could look in and actually be like, there's something different about you. What is it? For me, <laughs> and sometimes these things actually happen, and uh, you know, somebody actually does make a comment, and you're like, it takes you off so much guard. You're like, oh yeah, God is changing me. I'll give you an example. So last Friday, I'm at um, this youth group, which my, uh, my parents uh, run. And so think uh, kids from around sort of the age between 10 and the oldest is like 15, 16, that sort of age. And there's this one bit near the end where I'm kind of, you know, they're kind of the kids who kind of will play the football and, you know, and the kids who will do the table tennis and the sport and, you know, play the computer game and stuff. But then they're the kids who kind of don't really fit into that and they're kind of, they're the kids who like to kind of just hang out, you know, to kind of, you know, hang out with your friends and, you know, mess around and push them and stuff. So I'm basically kind of watching, they're not really troubled kids, these kids, they're actually not that bad but um, out of all the kids, they're kind of the more of the handful ones and I remember they're kind of, I'm in this little bit, just kind of keeping an eye on them, just to make sure they don't do anything too too, you know, too silly uh, and they're kind of running around and screaming and shouting and saying this to me and you know they're all having a great time, nothing, you know, nothing too bad and it's amazing how a couple of kids they come up to me and they're like, you know what you, you're really patient how do you, I'm just, I'm just standing I'm just like Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, how do you, you know, how do you keep up with us? You know, like, I would be so annoyed if I was you. Like, how are you patient? You should be a teacher. Like, and then, but it was amazing. They kept asking. They're like, why, why are you so patient? Uh, and I'm like, I'm first time. I'm just kind of like, uh, I don't know, yeah, yeah. Just you know, you just kind of brush it off. Next time, well, no, really. Why are you so patient? I'm like, oh no, no, I don't know. I'm just you know, you know, just, just chill out. And then, no, no, really. Why are you so patient? And then, <laughs> and then it reminded me. I was like, we've actually been doing like the, they've been doing like the fruits of the spirit, the earlier, you know, lost kind of in the summertime. And I was just brought to mind, I was like, well, actually, it's not me, it's, it's Christ. Actually, I'm really not that patient. Uh, <laughs> this patience I'm feeling right now is definitely not of me. <laughs> it's definitely not my natural inclination. Uh, but I was just like, look, it's, um, yeah, actually, it's not me. And I was just like, you remember when we did the fruits of the spirit? And we did patience, kind of, you know, that they are fruits of the Spirit, that as the Spirit lives in you, He produces that fruit. Um, and then managed to talk about some other stuff, which is quite cool. But, um, but yeah, you know, it's kind of like Christ is at work in each of us. You know, the Holy Spirit is within us. And even we know, even as we've just read, that He uses suffering as a means to develop our character, to make us more like Him. You know, God is at work in you. And, you know, may we be like Joseph, that people would actually see 
from the outside. So anyway, so Joseph is risen up in Potiphar's house and then as you know, Potiphar's wife uh, tries to sleep with Joseph. He does the right thing, he turns, he flees, he runs away. Uh, she basically accuses him of trying, uh, trying to, to sleep with him. He then gets thrown in jail. He gets falsely accused, he gets thrown in jail. So think of this, right? here's a guy sold into slavery, just as things look good, he gets falsely accused, thrown into prison. He is then within there for a number of times. It's amazing. Then again people see that he's faithful, see the Lord's favour on his life. Then we see how he ministers to two other prisoners. He asks them, you know, he sees they're downhearted, he asks them and then he shows them. (laughs) He then brings Christ and he brings God to them and he says, God has this vision, God has this interpretation of your dream. And then we see eventually, after he's eventually brought out of there, he's actually risen to a place of authority after interpreting Pharaoh's dream. So we see out of all of this hardship, we then see him as he's risen to this place and then we see this beautiful reunion he has with his brothers. So we see, we see Joseph in Egypt. We see that there's, he has this prophecy that there's going to be some years of famine and then there's going to be years of, you know, there's gonna be years of plenty followed by years of famine. So in the years of plenty, he stores it, then there's the years of famine. This then results in when famine hits his brother's land, his brothers come to him for food. It's amazing how we have this reunion. Out of all the places in the world and out of all the people in Egypt, his brothers get brought to him. And then as we read in the story, they eventually he reveals himself and they're reunited. And then that brings us to this part. So read with me in verse 18. So Joseph's father passes away and then we read this from verse 18. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face. And they said, Behold, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. God had a purpose in Joseph's suffering. And we actually know that it was not only to save, to save Joseph's brothers, but we actually know that from this comes the nation of Israel, from the nation of Israel comes our salvation. And here Joseph has the, the, the privilege of seeing a part of God's purpose in his suffering. He sees a part of it. He sees the initial part that it saves his brothers and a whole load of other people are saved. But Joseph actually doesn't get the chance to see the nation of Israel rise up. At that time, he actually doesn't know that eventually Jesus, who is actually going to redeem and save us all, is coming from this line. We see that even here, even Joseph only gets a glimpse of the full purpose of what Christ is doing. And it's the same for us. Christ is at work in our lives for our good. And we are called in the times when we see him at work to give him the praise. And in times where we can't get our heads around it, we're called to live by faith and to encourage each other and to meditate on these truths. So let's just end, just flick back to Romans 8. And we'll just end with this beautiful, beautiful verse. 
So 37. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded, and may, me, may we be persuaded, that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So let's pray together, God. Father, I, I just thank you for your word, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for the promises that are in your word, Lord. That you promise to be with us, Lord. That you call us into that place, often of discomfort, Lord. You call us often to a place of suffering, I thank you, Lord, that you promise these great truths, that you will be with us and that you have a purpose, that you are greater than our situation. And I pray that you would increase our faith and our hope in the times when we just can't see it, Father. Increase our faith, Lord. Put others around us to encourage us further, knowing that you love us and that you are at work in our lives, Father. And all things work together for good to those who love you. Father, help us to take these truths, not just in our minds, Lord, but may they, may they penetrate deep down into our hearts, Father, that we will truly believe this and that we would truly live differently in light of it. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen.